You're listening to islandsradio.ca, brought to you by the Gulf Islands Community Radio Society, dedicated to bringing FM radio to the Gulf Islands here in beautiful British Columbia. I'm Dan Miller, and as part of our series on the uh, ongoing federal 2021 election, I've got David Bush on the line, the conservative candidate for Saanich Gulf Islands. David, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, and I just wanted to uh, get started touching a little bit on your your background. I understand uh, you were a critical care nurse for some time, and uh, and then moved into law, and uh, and if you've worked through various uh, levels of, uh, of of the court system in Alberta and British Columbia, and I'm I'm just thinking that may give you a, a you know an interesting grounding into which to enter politics which can be very, as you know, a cutthroat uh, a venture. This is your second uh, election here. I understand you also ran in 2019. What, what drives you into, into the fray, as it were? Uh, well, first and foremost, you've mostly got my background right, uh, but you did miss one piece. Uh, I do have a degree in nursing, and I've taught uh, for two different universities. I worked a number of years as a critical care nurse. I also have a Juris Doctorate in Law, and I've worked, uh, well, actually, I've represented clients between all levels of court, uh, both in Alberta and here in BC. But I also am a published biochemist. My first degree was actually biochemistry. I love learning. I love looking at problems. And most importantly, I love solving problems. Uh, you're completely right, though, when you say politics can be cutthroat. Um, my major motivation is my two boys. Uh, they're four and five. And, you know, I grew up hiking, fishing, backcountry camping, and these are things I look forward to doing with my kids. And I want to make sure that I'm able to do those things with them as they get older. And all the things that make Canada great, our social safety net, our environment, the opportunities to grow and reach our full potentials. These are things I want to make sure that they're going to be there not only for us today and tomorrow, but for my kids going forward and my grandkids in the future. And I'm really quite concerned about this. Uh, one of my favorite MPs actually was Pat Martin from the NDP, even though I'm, conserv- I'm a conservative. Uh, I disagreed with almost everything he said. Hmm. But every now and then he would come out with something that would make me stop and go, oh my gosh, I'd never thought about it like that before. And I'd have to go back and spend a day or two thinking and reconsidering my position on that issue. And that's something I really think that we're, lear- we're losing uh, the ability to you know, communicate, express our ideas, and exchange them with others without making personal attacks. You know, it's far easier these days, and we see it all the time where someone will turn around and they'll throw, well, you're this or you're that, so I don't have to listen to you. Well, we don't learn if we don't listen to people who disagree with us. Well, that's heartening to hear, David, actually. Um, you know, it sounds like you're somewhat science science driven, being a uh, having a science background in uh, biochemistry. Um, now, at first glance, here looking in on uh, Saanich Gulf Islands with its somewhat older demographic, uh, the outside observer might be forgiven uh, for thinking it might lean a little bit on the conservative side here. But yet, uh, in the last uh, couple of elections, it's been a Green Party stronghold. And uh, it may seem like you face a bit of an uphill battle here. 
Um, uh, what do you, what do you think? Uh, what do you think your best plan of attack here is going ahead? Uh, well, back in 2019, I was telling people, look, I'm trying to climb Mount Everest without oxygen. A few people can do it, but more people wind up staying on that mountain and never make it down. Uh, if you look at the history of this riding from about 1955, I think, until 2011, uh, it was a conservative, you know, riding. It sent a conservative or reform alliance MP to Ottawa, I believe, in all but, I want to say, two elections. I'd have to go back and double check that. Um, this time around, things, you know, things are quite different. I'm feeling a different vibe at the door from 2019. Uh, people are going, you know, this country, there's problems. And great, grandiose promises that are good promises sound nice, but we need to be able to deliver. Uh, when Elizabeth May came in in 2011, you know, she was the national party leader. And that gives a good piece of notoriety to any candidate. And that was a big draw. Uh, also, at the same time, uh, when she came in, you know, the, the Green Party was starting off and it was on an upswing. And that was also something else that really played heavy into her favor. This time around, she's still the incumbent. But she's no longer the party leader. Now that title has got moved on to Animate Paul. And people are looking at the current government and they're going, we've got some concerns. We've got some problems. And the voters that I'm talking to at the door, they are really, they're out there and they're saying, we're not sure who we're voting for. We've done, we voted this way the last few times, but this time we really want to make sure we're informed. Well, and guess... people who in 2019, I knocked on the doors and they said, oh, we're voting green and they just weren't interested in talking to me, are now saying, well, what's your party's position on this? It's still an uphill battle, but this time, instead of climbing Everest, I only have to make it up Mount Logan. Well, I mean, on the bright side that we see Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives are polling up uh, since the election uh, was called. Uh, they've made a steady climb. They seem to have a lot of momentum. I think they're even in the lead in some polls right now by a slight margin. Uh, if you win... Uh, what local issues would you like to bring to the table to Ottawa? Um, actually, I really liked your choice of words with what, uh, what I'd like to bring to the table. Because first and foremost, I would be a voice at the table where the decisions are being made. And if you're not sitting at that table, your influence is limited. What I'm hearing at the door time and time again, it's health care. People are concerned about our health care system. They're concerned about the pandemic, our shortage of doctors. Uh, a couple of weeks, uh, I think about a week and a half ago, the Saanich Peninsula Hospital had to actually close its doors for its ER because they had no staff. The other big issue I'm hearing is the cost of living. They're saying, look, our kids can't afford to live here. It's gotten so expensive. And last week, they just announced that the benchmark price for a single family home in the area crested a million dollars for the first time ever. Well, that is an astronomical amount of money. And it, for someone who's just starting out, the dreams of home ownership are rapidly disappearing. The third big issue, no surprise, is the environment. The environment is changing, things are getting hotter, and people are rightly concerned. Well, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Um, uh, you know, the environment and the climate uh, are both uh, topics dear to the hearts of uh, many people here in Sandwich Gulf Islands, and they really feel it's a crisis. I think that uh, is obviously why they have voted green uh, lately. 
What are your feelings on the depth of the climate crisis, and what do you think the uh, you know uh, the Conservative Party can can uh, can bring uh, if they form government? I actually think we have the best platform when it comes to the environment. We have to look both globally as well as domestically, because at the end of the day, you know, while Canada puts out, I believe it's about 1.5, depending upon, you know, 1.6, 1.4, depending what statistical table you look at for CO2 emissions, we're still a very small player globally. And no matter what we do here at home, we also have to look globally, because if we took our emissions to zero tomorrow, China alone is increasing its emissions by, I believe it's about one point to, uh, well, basically, they're putting up double. Every six months, they're increasing by double the, uh, by the same amount of Canada's total emissions. So we have to look globally because even if we get our house fully in order, which we have to do, we can still burn as the world burns. Uh, Trudeau's turned around with his plan. It's heavy based on the carbon tax. And that money goes into general revenue. Now, we've got a price on pollution. Call it a carbon tax. Call it a hippopotamus. I really don't care what you call it. But we're going to be, we wind with our plan, we're going to increase the cost of the fossil fuels. The big difference is, though, that money, instead of going into general revenue of the government, is going to go going back into your pockets. But you can only use it for things that will help you lower your emissions. And this is good, though, because it also there are things that are going to save you money. If you're fortunate enough to have your own home, you can use it to make it more energy efficient and save you money on your heating and your power bills. You can use it for an electric bike to help decrease the costs of your commute. You can even use it for locally um, produced produce at the grocery store, whether it's meat, fish, uh, vegetables, things that are going to help you with the cost of living and at the same time support the local economy. So it's a win-win-win. It helps lower your cost of living. It helps the local economy, and it helps you decrease your emissions, which helps the environment. The other piece we're looking at is working globally with other countries. Right now, Asia, Africa, there's a lot of coal-fired power plants going up. A lot of countries aren't working hard to lower their emissions. We want to turn around and work with our friends, especially Europe, who are working hard at lowering their emissions and putting in trade tariffs against countries who aren't. This will give them extra incentive to turn around and choose a cleaner choice of energy rather than the cheapest choice of energy. Because at the end of the day, this is a global problem and we have to work and we have to think globally. And that's probably the biggest flaw, in my opinion, with the platforms on the environment with the other parties. They're focusing only on Canada, which we have to do, but that's not going to be enough. Because even if we take our emissions to zero tomorrow, which you'd need a magic wand to do, it's not going to be enough to stop the problem. Yeah, it sounds like an interesting approach. Let's hope it, let's hope it works. Um, now, of course, environment is something, uh, and the connection to the land in particular is something central to Indigenous cultures here in Canada. And I'm speaking, of course, of the First Nations um, who have had a, a, a most difficult year this year with the discovery, as you're aware, of uh, many possible uh, human r- graves uh, around various different uh, residential schools, including here 
in uh, Gulf Islands with, at Penelicut Island, formerly Cooper Island. And uh, you, you, you've touched briefly on the empty promises of the, uh, of the uh, other parties in uh, the current government. And I, I know there's a lot of uh, uh, sentiment, perhaps, shall we say, among First Nations that uh, the Trudeau government has been a lot of uh, promises and pretty talk, but very little in the way of action. And I'm just wondering what you see the role of the federal government being here as we try and move forward, uh, reconciling our relationship with First Nations? Well, I think first and foremost, I got to just with regards to your question, it was a confirmation, not a discovery. Anyone who'd been paying attention and really looking at the evidence that was coming out of the TRC knew that those graves were there. You know, it was just a matter of actually getting the confirmation of them. Um, I had the fortunate time when I was doing my paternity leave uh, with my son, my second son, I actually did a couple of, so a little bit of studies in graduate law uh, where we're looking at the TRC and indigenous law at the university of Victoria. And everybody knew the grades were going to be found. It was just who we just had to actually, okay, where are they? And we all have a role to play on this and the federal government is no exception. Uh, one of the things that sort of makes it a little bit easier for the federal government is their role has really been laid out quite clearly by courts and commissions as well as the treaties. You know, first and foremost, it's not rocket science. You know, you got to start by honoring the existing treaties and settle the outstanding land claims. That is the first step. And it just gets my blood boiling when I think I see our current government posing for photo ops and making these great promises, but they don't follow through. There's a lot of things even today in the middle of the election that they could do to help move reconciliation forwards. Uh, one of them is you know, Jordan's principles. Our federal government spent $100,000 on lawyers. Now, I'm a lawyer, and I would say that's nice, excepting they spent this money to fight a $6,000 medical bill for a young child that needed that medical care pay the bill, and if you really want to fight about it, fight with the provinces later. But don't leave that child waiting for the medical care that they need. You know, don't turn around and appeal the human rights tribunal decisions when they say, look, you're not properly funding the social programs on the reserves. You need to fund them. You know, stop the systemic discrimination and fully fund the residential school, the schools that are on the reserves. You want to make sure that they're funded to the same level as the provincial counterparts. These children growing up, they need, if you just turn around and you don't give the proper funding to their schools, you're setting them back and setting them up for failure going forwards. And those are some things that could be done today or tomorrow if our current government wanted with just the stroke of a pen. Hmm. Now, um, just uh, we don't have a lot of time. I'd l- love to unpack all these uh, various different cans of worms with you. We could probably spend hours talking, um, but I just like to also touch on the. the uh, I guess the other elephant in the room is uh, the pandemic itself, and I I hope you and yours uh, fared well uh, th- so far. And um, I'm just wondering how, what your experience has been like with uh, with two young children this last couple of years. My kids were young enough that for us with the kids, it wasn't a major issue yet. They're at, they're just now at four and five starting to go like, well, you know, dad, why is everyone wearing a mask? You know, what's going on? Why can't we, you know, just 
you know, go, you know, fly out to Ontario to go visit some of our relatives. Uh, you know, we, where's, you know, where's grandma and grandpa gone? Why can't we see them? So they're just starting to. Uh, for me as a lawyer, uh, sadly, when things get tough, people like to argue more. So I got a lot busier. But as my wife was who I was truly scared for because she's a cardiologist and she was doing a lot of shifts at the hospital. Uh, early on in the pandemic, you know, recall back in uh, February of last year, we wound up giving, I think it was about six um, tons of medical supplies and personal protective equipment to China. Well, shortly thereafter, our hospitals were running out. Uh, my wife was having to go in and work with patients who may or may not have had COVID. We didn't know because, you know, we're waiting for the tests to come back as they come in through the ER and up to this critical care unit. And I was chatting with a lot of my former students uh, who are nursing, and they're saying, Dave, they're giving us a disposable mask that's really only supposed to be used for you know, one patient, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, an hour, and then tossed, and we got to make this last three days. What can we do? So I was on the phone with them, and we're trying to find ways, how can we make a gown? And literally, we found for a gown, the best thing was those great big hefty garbage bags that you can get at Home Depot, because that would give you the protection. We were looking for rubber gloves and how to make masks out of duct tape and spare ventilator parts. I was actually terrified for my wife on that front. Fortunately, we've all came through quite well. Uh, But, you know, Canada made it through the first three waves because the resiliency of Canadians and the great work by our provincial public health officers. Well, it was also true in spite of our federal government. In in some ways, it was also extraordinary to see early in those early days to what degree, uh, you know, the partisan bickering was was set aside and uh, some act, you know, some real actions were taken pretty much across the board. Um, I mean, we could uh, probably uh, pick apart a liberal response with a fine-tooth comb, but I guess the biggest and possibly uh, most wedge issue of the election right now is the uh, issue of mandatory vaccines for federal employees and federally regulated transportation, including trains and planes. And I'm just wondering, uh, what what are your feelings on the current government's plan, and uh, why would the conservative approach be the superior one? Well, let's start with this. The approach of the conservatives and the liberals ultimately will is going to wind up being the same. And the reason I say this as a nurse and a lawyer, Trudeau stood up and said, oh, it's going to be mandatory. And then he turned around and said, well, it's going to be mandatory, and those who don't, there will be consequences. And the public sector union stood up and said, well, wait a minute, let's talk about these consequences. Yeah. And the, what are the consequences? Oh, well, if you don't get the vaccination, you're going to have to wear a mask. You're going to have to be tested. Maybe you'll have to work from home. Well, wait a second. That is the conservative platform. We're saying every, you know, everybody who can't get vaccinated, we will say, please go get vaccinated. We're going to strongly encourage. And in fact, I will get down on my knees and beg people to get vaccinated. As a critical care nurse, one of the worst shifts I ever had was looking after a patient who was dying from congestive heart failure. The fluid was building up in his lungs, and he was literally drowning in the bed. It was a 12-hour shift, and the person you know, made it through my shift. He died, I think, about a day and a half later. But that is the same thing that happens with COVID if you're unfortunate enough to get a serious case and wind up in the ICU. There's fluid building up in your lungs, and you will wind up drowning in that bed. And it is absolutely heart-wrenching. And I hope to God 
Nobody has to go through that. Nobody has to sit by that bedside and hold that person's hand, let alone their family members and watch that. And so I will beg everybody to go and please talk to your doctors if you're concerned about it. Research it and then follow your doctor's advice and please get vaccinated unless there is a medical reason not to. We seem to be doing fairly well in BC with, I was reading today, uh, almost, you know, 78 or plus uh, percent having uh, received both vaccines and north of 80 percent having received one vaccine here in BC. And I, I'm just wondering, how the heck do we reach people that last 10 percent? What do you think? Who would just seem well, to I think really part resistant. of it is, you know, over time, they're slow, you know, they will wind up being persuaded. They're going to see that, you know what? Yes, okay, this vaccine hasn't been tested for 20 years. But look at all the people who have gotten it. Side effects are some, one of the first things people say. They're concerned about the side effects of the vaccine. Well, you're going to see more and more and more. Like now we've got, what, how many, just in Canada, we have how many millions of people who have been vaccinated? So that's going to help persuade people that the vaccine is safe. And the second piece, and this is the one that just, it tugs at my heart, is as they see people who come down, especially with this fourth wave, one of the problems with the fourth wave and the Delta variant, first time around COVID came in, they said one person will probably infect two people. So it goes one, two, four, eight, 16. The R factor for the Delta variant is seven. It goes one, seven, 49, 200 and, or 300 or so. And then you're up to like 2,000 and so. That's why this one is so terrifying. And what's going to happen, you know, the, the holdouts who are saying, you know, we're not sure about this vaccine. As they see people who come down with the virus, who wind up getting admitted to hospital, that'll also help convince them, I am sure, that, wait a minute, yeah, we should go get this vaccine. But I believe firmly in the principle of autonomy, and I do not believe we should be forcing someone. And even legally, for large employers such as the government, that's going to be a difficult test to reach because they have a duty to accommodate. And consequently, I really believe that people will wind up getting the vaccine and we need to per- convince them and persuade them. I like using a carrot. I really dislike using a stick. Hmm. Fair enough. Okay, well, this has been a great conversation. I really thank you very much. I just have one last question here. Uh, now, as a, a voter in Saanich Gulf Islands, I'm wondering, why should we send you to Ottawa as the, our conservative MP in the upcoming election? Well, like I mentioned before, I like looking at problems and solving problems. And to have influence, you need a seat at that table. And I will have a seat at that table if the voters of Saanich Gulf Islands see fit to send me as their representative to Ottawa. I'm only making one promise. And that is, I will work as hard as I can each and every day. And I will make sure our voice is heard at that table where the decisions are made. If you think Canada is going in the right direction, in the right path, and you're happy with the status quo, you can vote for Anime Paul's Green Party. You can vote for Justin Trudeau's Liberals. Or you can vote for Jagmeet Singh's NDP. But if, like me, you don't think we're living up to our potential, and you want to vote for positive change, you need to vote for me, David Bush, and Aaron O'Toole, and the Conservative Party of Canada. 
Well, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us here at islandsradio.ca. David, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Dan. And uh, hopefully next time I'm out on the island, maybe we can uh, meet and uh, chat some more. Yeah, that would that would be great. I look forward to that. And the best of luck in the upcoming election. Thank you. And regardless of who you vote for, make sure you get out and vote. Well, thank you very much. And uh, bye-bye, David. Good luck. Thank you.